the market was going to see me a certain way and I needed to make sure that uh, like all good marketing is like, what's the message going to be? Do I lead with an agent message or do I lead with an investor message? And I made the conscious decision to lead with the agent message first. Okay. A, you know, I call it the A, like the AI, the agent investor model, as opposed to the investor agent model. So that, that was, that was important, right? Hello everybody, David Donaldson here with another edition and episode of Entrepreneurial Impact. It's really kind of mind boggling here as we roll into November that I am now and Joe and I are now north of 25 episodes. What an amazing year had it has been. Uh, the World Series in the rearview mirror. So I know you guys are all sorry for me. My Philadelphia Phillies dropped the ball, but that's okay because we pick up today with a home run interview with Rob Chavez of Kaza Group. Rob, welcome aboard. David, thank you so much for having me, man. I appreciate it. Yeah, you know, it's really exciting. You know, we were touching base earlier, and when I relocated here 10 years ago, when I was on a search for a new market center, as I, I relocated from Arizona, I met you briefly, right? Because I was doing a lot of investing and fixing flipping in Arizona. And I remember being incredibly impressed when Mike Coffey introduced us. To, that's how long ago it's been now. Mike was the TL over at Reston at the time and introduced us and told me what was going on. And so I knew 10 years ago, you know, here's a guy that's pouring into not just the associates, not just the market center, but the community as a whole through what his knowledge and his resources. How did that come about for you? Where, where did all this start? You know, it started, uh, it started. That was a really deep sigh, by the way. I it is, because that. it's like, how far back do I want to take you, David? <laughs> <laughs> how far back do I want to take you, right? Um, but, uh, you know, it started with my dad giving me a book pretty much right when I graduated from college on land development. I don't think I've ever mentioned that to anybody. I've ever verbalized it. Like that was the first real estate book that I remember reading. And then um, what was the book? I don't, you know, the interesting thing is I don't remember. I okay. don't remember. I don't remember the name. I just remember my dad had given me a book and I found it interesting because I was a psych major in college and he was like, you know, real estate's always been kind of good to us. You should maybe read this book on real estate. Now, obviously the book wasn't that great, but it planted a seed because I then started reading other books. And one of the other books was Rich Dad, Poor Dad by Robert oh. Kiyosaki, which has influenced a lot of real estate investors. And what's interesting is that that book isn't even about real estate investing, right? That book is about just thinking different, right? Thinking like a business owner. And so you know, in 1998, I started um, a recruiting business with my best friend, placing technical salespeople. We went through the dot-com boom. We went through the dot-com bust. Along the way, I'd been buying real estate because I'd been making some money through the dot-com boom, um, which saved me, honestly, during the bust. Because during the bust, I was telling somebody today, I remember thinking, you know, I was making a lot of money at a 25, 26, 27 years old. I remember thinking if I make half as much as I make today, we'd still be okay. But I ended up making a third, right? With a brand new baby girl and a brand new mortgage during like this real estate tech meltdown. But my real estate friends were still making money. Mortgage people were still making money. And I remember calling them by the way and saying, listen, I know you guys are making a lot of cash, 
save it, put it away, store it, because it could change. You know, I don't know when it's going to change, but it could change. So anyhow, luckily, I'd been buying some assets along the way. And so if I needed some cash, I'd sell a property. This is like, think about it, 2002, 2003, 2004, right? Yeah. So if I needed some money, real estate was going up, I'd sell a property, which was painful, but I'd sell it because I needed the money. And, uh, and it, it would tide me over. And during the course of Don't that, look back at what those properties are worth now, Rob. Don't do that. Believe me, I've done it a million <laughs> times. It, it, it's painful, right? Um, yeah, I tell everybody today, I owned a single family house in McLean for $325,000. And I remember thinking that was all the money in the world at the time, right? It seemed like so much money. Uh, anyhow, I digress. So, so what happened was that though gave me the bug, right? And I decided that I was going to ask my business partner to buy me out of the recruiting business so that I could pursue real estate full time. This was the summer of 2005, David, right? Now, good timing. Good timing. I told my wife, babe, I wanna go into real estate full time, um, but we're gonna go through some kind of real estate correction. I know we are, but I believe that if we can survive whatever that looks like, that we're gonna come out of the other side stronger right? That we're going to be well positioned. And I tell you what, that's impressive insight that, you know, in 05, when things were still going pretty good, right? Yeah. I got my license in 07. I didn't have that force. I was buying properties in 05, 06, and 07. Like I got, I got scorched on because I wasn't licensed that I didn't know. So for you to say, Hey, I know this is coming. That's pretty impressive. So this is what happened. It's only because it's not because I was smart and understood the economics or anything. Like I'm like, didn't know what the hell was going on, but I understood consumer behavior, right? And it felt like the dot-com boom. It felt like that. And I knew what that was like. And everybody was saying, well, this is the new economy. This is just how it is, right? Um, and it, it felt crazy as a recruiter, it felt crazy. Like I was placing all these people, making all this money and it felt like a rational exuberance. And then a year later, it was like somebody had flipped off the switch, like just like, just turned it off, right? Yeah. I said, babe, it feels like that, right? Um, and, and in fact, the summer of 05, I had just put a property under contract. I don't think I've told anybody this except for on my team, because I wanted to fix and flip a deal. Like I'd been a buy and hold person, but I wanted to fix and flip. And I talked to a local you know, guru who, you know, I was like, this deal's kind of skinny, but I'm worried about doing the deal. And he was like, you should do it, right? And I was like, okay. So I got under contract. It was a $10,000 non-refundable, you know, uh, earnest money deposit. And the property needed a lot of work. And um, and then I looked up like a couple of weeks later, like before settlement on this thing. And I noticed these properties weren't selling like they were selling before, earlier. But things were selling like over a, a weekend before. But now I looked in the MLS and things were on the market for 10 days and 11 days and 14 days. And that was unusual. It's kind of like what we're feeling right. now, right? And yeah. that, was un that was unusual, right? And I literally, I, I got cold feet. I, uh, I went to the gentleman that I put the property under contract with. And I said, sir, I'm really sorry, but I can't get financing on this property. I know you have a $10,000, my $10,000 non-refundable deposit. I'm hoping that you will let me out, right? 
And he, he looked at me and he was a, an older gentleman, probably saw a younger kid that had gone in over his head. And he said, because you're a nice guy, I'll let you out. And he said, how much are you willing to pay me to get out? Right. And I was like, $300, <laughs> right? And, he, and $300 is a lot of money. I was like, $300, right? Absolutely. And, and, and so he was like, I'll let you out for $300. So they let me out for $300, okay? And this was in Sterling Park, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, that, it just fell off a cliff after that. You just started seeing property, like inventory levels start like rising, values started dropping slowly, like slowly, right? From 2005, 2006, you just saw a little bit. And then 2007, you started seeing like a sizable, right? Uh, adjustment. And then 2008, it fell off a cliff. So I might've broken even on that deal because it was still early, but yeah. it was like right in the beginning, right? When inventory started, uh, started just compounding a little, not compounding, that's the wrong word. You just started, started seeing days on market rising, right? And so what I did was I went to a submarket that was a couple hours away from where I lived. And I start in this market, never gone through a boom. It hadn't gone through a bust, which is kind of like a stable cash flow market. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's not a stable community. There you go. Right. And I just started buying assets there, selling them to investors, turnkey, uh, managing those assets. And we call that time, that was like our learning ground. Like, and I was only playing the investment game. I was buying properties for myself, mm -hmm. typically small multi. Uh, and then I needed cash. Like I needed to create 30, 60, 90 day cash for my household. Um, because nobody told me, I, you know, like I thought, I thought I was just going to go buy apartment buildings and then I was going to live off of the cash flow from those apartment buildings. And I was like, man, I need a lot of these things to make, you know, to, to essentially like cover my, my, yeah. my household nut. Right. Um, and so I'm like, I need cash now. So I would buy these properties and I would fix them up and then I would sell them to investors turnkey. And then we manage those properties for them. And then you know, within a year, year and a half, we had 300 management, uh, 300 assets under management, right? That, that's an incredible turnaround. It was crazy, man. Two hours away from where we lived, right? Um, we, we'd, we'd hired and like, so this was like, when I think about it, this was my first expansion office, right? Yeah, you're right. Like it was two hours away from where I lived. We were marketing at the hub level for distressed assets. We hired a crew at the local level that did the day-to-day -day operation management of that. Yeah. I would visit the area for two days out of the time. Then my wife would rotate and visit two days out of the time. We had a baby girl that we were raising at the, she was three years old, right? Chick-fil-A was our office. So we're <laughs> like, I'm making cold calls from Chick-fil-A because she's in the, you know, like the little play area for Chick-fil-A. I'm yep. waving at her, right? And so we were doing, we were just trying to figure out a model. We didn't have a model, if that makes sense. Like we were just grinding. And, and I, it's not like I had a mentor to do this. It wasn't until I picked up the book, the millionaire real estate agent book, David, that, that I was like, oh, here's a model and here's a framework. And you could take, by the way, the word agent out and replace it with recruiter yeah. or whatever, right? And I was like, wow, I don't know who this Gary Keller and Jay Papasang people are, but they're really smart. And I recognized it for what it was. It was a book about business. And so 
I got my license purely as a way to get referral fees, not ever with the intention of building an agent business. And, um, but I hung my license in that, re in that rest in office. And then I proceeded to continue playing the investment game. And little by little, right, my, my mind started thinking about shifting the model to create my earned income, my 30, 60, 90 day money mm -hmm. from the agent side of the business and taking that money and buying investments. Because after all, the goal was to buy assets that would provide passive income over time. And truthfully, as a wholesaler and a rehabber, one of the things that broke my heart, right, every time was that I would find a really great deal. And then I would either have to wholesale it or I would fix it, flip it and sell it for cash. Do you understand that? Like you're selling a great asset to take yeah. money today. Because you had that short term need. Because I need, I needed that yeah. money today. And I was like, that sucks. I don't like, I, I hate that. Like, couldn't I sell something that I didn't care about? Meaning it wasn't a, it was a retail deal. It wasn't like an investment deal. Right. And mm -hmm. so I remember like my first or second listing was helping another developer out of, uh, of a sticky situation when the market started sliding in 2008 and he had it listed for 1.7 million with like a, a high profile, you know, like luxury team in the area. And he approached me and said, Hey, you know, do you have an agent that might be able to help me sell this? And I said, you know, I've got my license. Why don't I analyze the deal, put my brain on it, and then tell you what you need potentially to do. And luckily he trusted me. He was somebody that I'd known for a long time. And I said, here's the deal. I think I could sell this in 30 days. This would be the plan to sell it in 30 days. We have to get ahead of the market. This is why I believe this. And he said, okay. So I listed it sold the property for 1.6 million and made a hefty commission. And I said, wait a second, I got to work with somebody that I love, right? Like he was like a friend of mine, yeah. right? Um, I got him out of a difficult situation uh, right before he went negative on the deal, by the way, he broke even, but he'd been working on the project for like a year and a half. So it felt like he you know, lost a lot of time, but, um, and I made a hefty commission on that sale. Um, and I was like, wow, what if I did more of this, right? Instead of fixing and flipping houses two hours away from where I lived in another market where I was, all I was deal dealing with was death, divorce, drugs, debt, right? And I, I focus on maybe this area, right? Because it's an affluent area, the price point's high, my network has a high price point. And then um, I'll, I'll show my network how to buy and sell like investors do, like be more effective in that. And so that was the that was the genesis of the idea, right? Okay. And you so know what that, I love is that at this point I'll say, hey, well, no, tell me some about some mistakes you made. I love that you just kind of like jumped into your lessons learned, like right from like, well, let me tell you about how this all kind of cobbled together and came forward for me. Like that's just awesome, right? The, the passion and the energy of, of the why, the how, the challenges associated with that in an incredibly challenging time. You know, we talk about the impacts of what we've come and, and what was great is that you had the foresight. And now while some of us had lived through the boom because of maybe it was investments or different periods, but you actually worked through it, right? Of the dot-com and the, and the nines, right? And then you were kind of bumping up against the real estate boom and bust, uh, yeah. right? Of the great recession. 
but you were able to work through it. And I actually call it a great time of great education because I look at those of us that were licensed then and what we were able to accomplish and adopt and adapt because I was an investor as well. That's where I got my start to learn how to do things and basically retrofit that into a, hey, there's a different way of doing things and there's a right way of doing things but as I'm failing my way forward. And that's what I'm hearing a lot from you, which is pretty, which is pretty awesome. So you've done all that, right? You've done the investment and then you had your big aha moment, like, wait a minute, the real estate driven side of this sure. is pretty good too, right? And now, but you've taken what you've learned. And so talk to me now about what are the impacts of that period in time to where you are now? Because you've obviously got your hands in a lot of things. You've got expansion, you've got your real estate team, you've got grind. So let's, let's kind of digest now that what, you know, what is really passionate for you and what's driving you to do all these other things that sure. are now impacting other people's lives. Yeah, it's interesting. I'll go, I'll go back just a little bit, right? Sure. I remember making a very conscious decision. Do I want to lead with the investment model, investment first model to like backing into agent deals? Or do I want to lead with agent first backing into investment deals? Because it was in it was a, 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 a turning point. Like I, I wanted to, like the market was going to see me a certain way and I needed to make sure that uh, like all good marketing is like, what's the message going to be? Do I lead with an agent message or do I lead with an investor message? And I made the conscious decision to lead with the agent message first. Okay. A, you know, I call it the A, like the AI, the agent investor model, as opposed to the investor agent model. So that, that was, that was important, right? And so kind of to fast forward, as I, as I went through that journey and continued to buy assets and uh, learn how to run a real estate team, uh, go on the journey of expansion, I realized that I love partnerships. I love building businesses. I, I am a real estate entrepreneur at heart. And I realized that if you could control the inventory at the top, if you could control listings, if you could control product, right? Uh, you could control product as a wholesaler as well. But if you control, control product as an agent, you, we are the dot connectors, right? We refer to title, we refer to mortgage, we refer to your home inspector, we refer to insurance, we were, like we are the connector, right? And so I remember having a vision in my mind of building a really big lead gen machine and then being able to refer to these different verticals at first I was thinking, and then later it became arms of the business as we started realizing that we had created a model that would allow us to be able to build businesses that all fed kind of like the holding company, right? So today our business is a holding company that essentially services, helps service five real estate teams, a construction practice, an investment arm grid, right? Which you, uh, the investment network, um, and um, soon to be what I call um, uh, simply funded, right? So simply funded, okay. Yeah, simply funded, right? Which is going to be the our lending arm of the business. And I'm lucky to be in business with all of the people that run those verticals and divisions, right? Some of them, I'm 50-50 partner. Or I shouldn't say I. The business, the holding company, right. is 50-50 partners with the location leader that's there. Some we, from a corporate perspective, own 100% of that business. And the leader that's there growing that business 
has the ability to become a partner in that business, right? Or start their own like branch of that business, right? So, so we realized that we wanted to start growing hyper-local teams that served the community and that we could do it through teams and investment and property management and lending and, and all the rest. So building the ecosystem, which you've seen brokerages do, right? And you see everybody trying to build that ecosystem. We're just kind of building the ecosystem within our world, right? right. And um, Grid, what's interesting was why did I pour into the community? Well, Grid was my way of trying to help people navigate that all that messiness that I'd gone through early in my career, right? Yeah. Where I wish somebody had like said, hey kid, this is what you gotta pay attention to right now. And this is where your brain has to be right now. Instead, it was like, you know, I was firing in 17 different directions and um, doing them all okay, but not incredibly well. And it wasn't until I focused on one thing, and got really good at that one thing that allowed me to be able to build other things. Kind of crazy how we had we met the guy that has the vision to write all the books about all the things you just kind of hit the hammer. I know, about, right? I know, I know. So, so, the, so that's it, right? So today, you know, my world is a world where um, I'm creating business relationships with people that um, that want to build big businesses. Like we wanted to be able to create a framework that allowed people to build the biggest vision that they had for their life, very similar to what Gary's done within our world. I was like, if the, the model works, why, why go reinvent something, right? Like just right. do it within our world, right? So it's like a universe within the universe. That makes sense. No, 100%. I, we had a lot of those conversations with people. And believe it or not, I was actually having a conversation with somebody who was their own brokerage. And they were just so prideful in the fact that they were the independent brokers, some of the relationships that they had matter that it's going to take some time to make them understand that there's value in partnerships through strategic placement and associating yourself with somebody like KW sure. versus being an independent. But for some of the historical way of doing business has changed, right? Let me, let me ask you this, you know. Having lived through the two different changes that you went through, right? Dr. Sure. Combs, real estate bubble. And now obviously we're up against a, a legitimate shift and challenge and change in how we're doing business now. Now I see incredible differences of what it was back then or seven or eight. However, the one thing is fundamentally the same. There's going to have to be a change. There's going to have to be an effort on the agent side to really drive business themselves. What are you doing and you, what are you seeing that you can share with the rest of the associates that are listening to this and saying, here's where I'm looking right now. Yeah. Here's what I see. Well, David, let me, let me, uh, let me ask you some questions. And sure. We're, we're right. Let me ask you some questions, right? So turn the tables on me. Go ahead. I'm turn it, right. Because I think this is a good way to, to kind of go through this. Um, what pain will sellers experience in the next six months? Do you think? What pain are they going to experience? They're going to they see the pain of thinking that the house is worth more than it is or was six months ago on paper. Right? Yep. They're going to see the time for change. They're going to see that, hey, I now have to control my asset, improve my asset, invest in my asset other than just sticking a sign out. And that pain is both for the sellers and the agents, right? Yep. Yep. So when, so you're right. So so education on the on the on the listing agent's job, get really good at helping bring reality to the situation, right? Yep. 
So that that's what you said. So an agent's going to have to get good at that, at being empathetic and and understanding and and being a guide in that process and helping them interpret the data and the numbers. So the skill there has got to go up tremendously, right? Okay. So the number thing, uh, number two thing you said is, well, they got to fix up the asset, right? You're right. They're going to have to be competitive. They're going to have to look really good. So we have a renovate now, pay later program that plays really well into that, where we can go, Mr. and Mrs. Seller, we have a construction company. We know exactly what things get the highest return without breaking the bank. We are masters at this. We've done it for years. We can implement this program for you. In fact, you don't even need to put the money into it. Like we'll put our own money into it. And then at settlement, we just can't get paid from the proceeds, right? So having a program like that can make you strategically stand out from the pack, right? In fact, I got a call yesterday from a client who referred me somebody that like we had done this for a couple of years ago, who referred me somebody who's in the downsizing phase of her life. And she's met with seven realtors and nobody's offered this kind of solution. And she said, you might want to talk to Rob because this is what Rob and his team does, right? So there's that. Um, also, I believe that speed and convenience, there's going to be people that are just like, you know what? I want it to happen now. And the iBuying thing has been around for a, a while now. Yeah. And, but that message is going to resonate with a lot of people. Their house is going to be on the market 30 days, 40 days. 45 days, 50 days, 60 days. Like my agent, like my newer agents can't comprehend that we would be in a listing for 60, 70, 80 days before, right? They're like, they're, they're like losing their mind about what that conversation sounds like, right? Yeah. And so, so, so one, we're preparing them for how we do that, right? And it's easy, like, we'll just go back to- the I tell people that when I first got into business, I would take listings for six months. And they don't understand that. Like, what do you mean six months? I'm like, well, that was the market. Like, you had to understand there was a buyer's market, there was a seller's market, there was a neutral market, and you had to prepare for that. It wasn't a two-week market. Yeah, it wasn't a two-week market. Now, I do know that we can make all of that happen when 30 to 45 days in any market, but the oh, seller yeah. has to be willing to do the things, right? And if they're willing to do the things, like, we can make it, like, we, we can create the outcome that they want within 30 to 45 days. Easy, even faster, right? Um, you, have point, though, you have to ask the questions to get that out of them, right? That's gotta, the educational side for the realtor themselves that have been in business for two years or less, or even five years or less in Northern Virginia, especially, that don't understand the nuances around what it truly takes to run a business in real estate. Yeah. And then, you know, that, so that, that I buying conversation should be an option in every agent's toolkit, right? So uh, it's scary for agents because they don't understand how that works. I would say get some education around how they can make that work and how they can either leverage an investment network like ours to help them make that work, or maybe they can raise capital to make that work, uh, or even use third-party companies where you sell them, you know, like, venture funds that, that bring them the asset. But the conversation is, you know, David, you know, we love to give our clients choices, right? Some people want maximum value for their home. And what that means is we're going to fix it up and it might take 30, 45, 50, 60 days to get maximum value. Some people want maximum convenience, right? Maximum convenience is 
all cash offer close in two weeks. You know, most people are kind of like in between, right? Kind of right. Polish the pen. Which one of these do you lean towards right now? And then what happens is whatever they tell you, you need to have a program to implement that playbook. And that's what we, by the way, that's what we've always done, right? But now this market is built for it, right? I, I'm, I'm just getting done with um, the reason, the reason I was a little late for our initial call, so I apologize, was because I'm teaching this class called Grid AI Certification. And it's the Agent Investor Certification. Okay. And it, it, it essentially helps agents understand how to be a 360 agent, meaning like know all the options that, that are available to, to a consumer today that most agents are not taught. So for example, let's look at the other thing that's happened. What has happened, David, over the last five, six, seven years with interest rates? Where have they been? They've been ridiculously low for way too long. They've been really low, right? And by the way, David, if you have a 2.5% or a 3% interest rate, um, and now you know you look at that interest rate and you're like, okay, well, if I sell this, I'm buying into a 7% interest rate. What happens? You, you'll probably say to yourself, what? Do I want to do that? Do I want to do that? Do I want to like- There's the value in that. There's what a value doing? in that, in right. that, in that interest rate is that interest rate is valuable. Yes, it right? is. So what are some of the key things that uh, will play on that interest rate that are valuable to the consumer? Well, VA assumable loans, right? You better learn that game. Right? Heck yeah. That's right? been a big topic of conversation lately about that. And because what happens with that is not just the assumable, where's the bridge loan come from? That's right. That's right. Uh, FHA. Right. How are you going to assume that? Okay. Well, well, you're right because there is no lever for that at the moment. Just like there was no lever for short sales, there was no lever to process foreclosures back in then. Right. They're going to have to be relationships that develop to go, how do we get this done? Because the market's going to dictate it, because sure. those loans have value. Sure. Uh, and then you look at the subject two, right? I'm not sure if you're familiar with like the subject two concept. Oh. Not only, so I'll tell you, right? So uh, this book. Oh, yeah. So if you go to page 368, there's a gentleman in there named Don DeRosa, and I'm actually bringing him to the region on December 8th to come talk to us about subject two, because that's his specialty as well. So I hope yeah. you see room for that. So we're, you know, we're about to buy, like we, we've, I bought my first one, was never an expert. I always had friends of mine that were really good at it, tell me about it. Last year, I bought one. And I was like, oh, wow, that was pretty good. Cool. That worked out well, right? Yep. Uh, we've got another one under contract right now, which it's a 2% interest rate. So think about that, right? 2% wow. interest rate. And I'm like, okay, agents got to learn this game. They need to know this, right? If they want to go in the battle, it's like understanding all the tools that are available to you. We're about to ratify, hopefully, knock on wood, it's taking a little bit longer, but a $1.1 million deal, which is a lease option, right? Why would somebody do a $1.1 million deal with a $150,000 non-refundable deposit lease option deal? Well, the husband and wife are experiencing pain. It's a divorce situation, 
right? They found the perfect house. They can't get her qualified right now. She needs six months of alimony payments to, in order to qualify for that loan, but they want that house. So let's do a lead. And the investor that's selling that asset, he wants that property off the books. So I'm yeah. like, hey, how would you like a $150,000 non-refundable deposit, right? Would you willing to carry this for six, seven months? The answer is yes. So we're going to have to get creative as agents in order to adjust to this marketplace. And the agent that can adjust the quickest survives. And the agent that can't adjust quickly dies. No doubt. And, and that's just how it is. That's just well, it. That goes really into it, right? That's the professional realtor who's a business owner adjusting, adapting, and growing. Sure. And those that are hobbyists, they got their license because it's easy money. And they're all going to go by the wayside. Right? Yeah. That's why those of us that were around then that are around now because we adapted, we shifted, we changed, and we learned, we educated. Yeah. And that's essentially what we're talking about now. It's a challenging market. You've got to leverage what's at your disposal. And that's what you're talking about. Yeah. Use the tools. Get into business with professionals. Use leverage in all the vehicles you have, right? Knowing the market partnering with financial institutions, understanding the lending process, getting creative in the gray and giving options to the consumer because you ask the right questions. Yeah, David, going back to the basics of you've got a database, making sure that your marketing is matching the reality of the market, specifically educating your database about how they can win in a shifting market showing them that you have the tools and the solutions and the knowledge and the strategy to win in any environment. And they will gravitate to those that have solutions, to those that are the most confident. And, and so get loud, as yeah. loud as possible with your clients on what's happening in the marketplace. Yeah. Well, listen, I really appreciate your time. And I, I hope those that are listening, especially the new agents that have joined us over the last couple of years, heed what you're talking about, right? You don't have to have an incredible, impressive sales track record. You got to have drive. You got to have motivation. And you got to have the understanding that people have done this before me. People do this after me. And I got to know where to go to get the right information. And those people are just like, Rob. Yeah, David, can I, I'll just, I'll kind of, I'll, I want to add this in here because sometimes a newer agent, I think, I think that there is an advantage for a new agent, okay? And I do, I especially the one that is, the one that is um, willing to flow to where the energy is, okay? And here's the advantage. They don't have big business expenses at this point. They're limbo, they're nimble, right? They're nimble, right? When you run a larger organization, like the one we are, it's or, or even like what Gary's got to run, like to, to affect change is sometimes harder because the organization is larger, right? And yeah. can you change fast enough, right? In 2007, eight, nine, I was very nimble. And so I was like, okay, well, it was hard to break in the REO, the REO business, because a lot of those relationships had been established by established agents that, you know, got in early, right? But the short sale business existed. And so I got, I became a short sale expert overnight. Overnight, I was a short sale expert, right? And I, you know, I read, you know, 
what did that mean? I meant I was one chapter ahead, right? I don't know if you've ever watched the book Catch uh, or read uh, watched the movie Catch Me If You Can. And oh like, sure. Okay, and the guy was like, "How did you teach that class?" And he's like, "I was just one chapter ahead, right?" Okay. Well, that's how I felt with the short sale business. I would say I'd read on like what's a short sale, and yeah. then I'd create a video on like what a short sale was, and I literally created a blog of information that drove consumers to me. And eventually they just saw me as the expert. And I was the expert. By the end of it, I, I had become the expert. So you could probably go look at some of those old baby Rob short sale <laughs> videos, right? On like bad camera and everything. But but that's 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 what we did, right? Absolutely. Well, listen, Rob, I really appreciate you. Why don't you just kind of give everybody a rundown? You mentioned your, your AI certification program. Sure. And we'll add this to the video for the end of it. But why don't you just kind of tell everybody, if they want to learn a little bit more about you or the different organizations that you're kind of heading, why don't you just kind of tell everybody where they can find that? I'd say the be best place uh, is to go to Great Investor, right? Greatinvestor.com. And that is our network of 20,000 agents and investors and real estate entrepreneurs around the country. And that is growing every single day, right? Um, then from there, there's a subsection specifically for agents called Grid AI Certification. If you go to gridaicertification.com, which takes agents on a seven-week journey of understanding the language and the game of real estate investing so that they can complete their Jedi training. That's what I say, right? Up until this bro time, the brokerage has taught you one side, one piece of the training and now you need to complete the other side of your training to become a Jedi Knight. And so um, Grid AI certification- you Gotta go face Vader a second time. Yeah, man, go do it. it it's, it, and we're, we're really incredibly proud of it because we just launched our second class through that and the feedback's been incredible. So greataicertification.com. All right, well, everybody go check it out. If you have a chance, go see Rob whenever he's speaking or talking uh, around the area. He's an incredible source of, of knowledge and resources. And Rob, I appreciate you for joining us on Entrepreneurial Impact today. Thank you, David. I appreciate it. Awesome.